0: It's this idea of performance, of the way what we do in the world, the thing we create. And so poetry, theatrical performance, architecture, whatever else, to me is all of a piece.
1: Welcome to Archonnect Sessions 1 to 1. I'm Amelia, and this week we're dipping a bit into the Archonnect archives. Last spring, I spoke with the founder of the Cedar company that produces performances for an audience of one, often lasting days at a time. Participants are extensively researched, and the performances are rigorously planned so that the whole thing unfolds before them spontaneously as they move about the world. The company is called Odyssey Works, and their founder, Abraham Bergson, is also a practicing architect. Tiburex theater and architecture are one and the same. Their objective is to immerse the audience and make them feel something. And to prepare for this month's theme of games, I've been researching things like AR, mobile gaming, flaneurism, city building simulations, and it occurred to me that Odyssey Works is absolutely a part of that genre of experiencing the city as well, an intervention that heightens your experience and makes you reconsider your surroundings. The following interview is our conversation from February of last year, slightly edited for time. You can find our original working out of the box feature with Abraham in the show notes. So let's just start out. Why don't you give me a background on your architecture education? Uh, Where did you study architecture and what led you to the education?
0: It's funny that I'm talking to you right now from Istanbul because this is actually where it started for me. I went to school originally to study English and anthropology and then I left and I came to Istanbul my first year to learn about the whirling of the whirling dervishes. And While I was here, I spent the whole time wandering the city. It was kind of an unexpected, wondrous surprise to find a place like this. And I kept wandering into mosques and, of course, time and time again into the Hagia Sophia. And I was continually surprised and impressed by the profound effect that those spaces had on me. And when I returned to school the following year, I transferred into the architecture school because I wanted to be able to create experiences, at least in some way related to the experiences that I had in those mosques and in the Hagia Sophia and wandering through the narrow streets of the old city and Galata district in Istanbul. So. Here I am again, exactly 20 years to the month since I was inspired to pursue architecture. And I've been revisiting some of these places and there's still amazing. (laughs) They still inspire and move me. And when I say move, I mean it in that sense that like when you actually enter into one of these spaces, you feel you were in one place in yourself and you step into the space and you discover that you are now moved. You are in another place in yourself. And that to me is at the core of what architecture can do. So it's great to be back here and seeing that all over again.
1: So where did you end up studying architecture?
0: Uh, I did that at Cornell University, BA in architecture, and then after that, I worked briefly at Cone, Pedersen, Fox in New York, and then for a bunch of small firms. And then after that, I apprenticed in the trades for four years, and then returned to architecture to practice on my own, and eventually built up a practice and eventually started teaching architecture. And about 13 years ago now, I co-founded Odyssey Works with a friend of mine called Matthew Perdon. And we just started this as a a kind of an experiment to explore ideas that we were mutually interested in. And it kind of got out of hand to the point where it's sort of the major focus of my life now. I still do teach and I still do have some architecture clients, but I would say in a way that the major part of my architectural interest happened inside of Odyssey Works now, although certainly in my practices as, as an architect and in my team as well.
1: So for the last 11 or so years, you've been simultaneously running a practice, teaching and running Odyssey Works.
0: So I've been running Odyssey Works since 2002 and I've been teaching since 2009 and I've been working on my own since 2005. There was a a trip to grad school in the middle there.
1: So what did you pursue in grad school?
0: It was a MFA in playwriting and poetry.
1: So when you graduated with the bachelor's, you fully intended to continue studying and practicing architecture. How did the poetry degree come along in your trajectory pursuing architecture?
0: There's something that I've learned from architecture that I think is not necessarily unique, but that an architecture education uniquely emphasizes. And that is this kind of holistic understanding of a practice that when you're an architect, You have to think not just about a structure, not just about your clients, not just about the city. You have to think about the aesthetics. You have to think about the way sound works. You have to think about all the collaboration that happens. You have to consider an entire life that is going to because of an intervention that you're making, which has primarily scope, but a broad set of reverberations. And these reverberations manifest in many different ways. So there are different ways of approaching the same set of ideas, right? It's this idea of performance, of the way what we do in the world, the thing we create. And so poetry, theatrical performance, architecture, whatever else, to me is all of a piece. It's a question of trying to use, to sculpt experiences in the lives of the people who come in contact with them. And so we're taught now, hopefully, sometimes, at least the conversation is there, that what we're designing is not necessarily just the form, but the performance and life that the form creates. And so I see all these things as just different ways of kind of approaching that. And that's why I've, I've been kind of walking down the roads in the same direction. Poetry, for instance, if you look at the history of poetry, if you look at what poetry means, it comes from the word structure. It was a a maker or if you go down a linguistic path, and it's about understanding structure, and it's about understanding rhythms, and it's about considering the way a person moves through an experience, if you want to think that way. Similarly, theatrical performance and playwriting is about the way a person moves through an experience. All time-based art is about that, and so is architecture. So I never felt like I left any one thing and went to a thing. I haven't left any of these. I still write, I still design, and I still direct. And to me, they're of a piece.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head, but also it is clear to me how you see I can easily chart this performative aspect throughout all of these different disciplines that on paper might seem very different. So I would like you to describe your current profession and your role in Odyssey Works and what you do there.
0: So, I'm the artistic director of Odyssey Works. I make it happen and then it's a collaborative effort. So, I don't make the pieces, I just bring the group together and the buck stops with me, but we work collaborative. So, and I've played around with different structures over the years in terms of how we can make this work. But the way it generally happens, basically, there's a group of we call the formal start team, gets together um, at the beginning of every project and conceives of the overall structure of each piece, right? So we spend four months getting to know them as well as we possibly can. It depends on the size and the scope of, the, of each particular piece, but we have to do this intense amount of research. And that's something that this structure team collaboratively shares. And my job as the artistic director is to just sort of structure that investigation, but it's something we all do. And then at the end of that study period, after we've spoken to everybody in their family, spoken to their husbands, wives, lovers, friends, enemies, therapists read a book they've read or written, watched their favorite movies, gone as deep as possible into their material until we didn't feel like we could know them inner, then go into retreat somewhere for anywhere from four days to a week. And we consider the person and we ask the question, in what way can we move this person with our work? How can we reach them and how can we understand their subjectivity in a way that The work that we wish to be making can be as deeply received as possible. And we do this together. That's a collaborative effort. And out of that retreat, we emerge with not even a set of scenes, but a structure of states of experience that we wish this participant to go through. And this is generally manifest with a diagram, a kind of map of the performance. So, that's the structure of the state of the experience that we want our participant to have. We develop that from the beginning to the end, but then we go back to work with the rest of the team in developing the rest of the scenes in detail. So, it's a different process. Maybe it's more like to go to architecture making a massing model. So, my role is to just guide that, but not to be the one making all the decisions. And so then I play a role depending on what's needed of me. Sometimes I'll act. Usually I'll act as myself, the director of C-Works, and sometimes I'll just stay behind the scenes.
1: So in that process that you just described, how do you see your architecture education bleeding into that? Do you feel that there's something specific that you've gained from the kind of design education that architecture tries to teach students and how that influences your role in this project?
0: Absolutely. It's pretty much inseparable and there's so many ways. I mean, the primary thing, the primary thing is this mode of creativity where you consider your audience first. Bad architect is an architect who doesn't give a shit about the person who's going to be living there so long as he gets to create his beautiful masterpiece. And if anybody messes with it, he blows it up. Good architect is somebody who understands the people who are going to be using the thing that he creates and designs it. So the life that's lived inside their building is the one that you hope to be lived there. So it's a mode of creativity that starts at the end. It starts with the audience and backwards to the creation. That's how we do it in Odyssey Works. That's the basic structure. And that's something that emerges directly from ideas in architecture. Another is that our work is entirely site-specific. We never do anything in theaters, maybe once or twice in theaters, but that was site-specific as well. Largely, work is in cities and in public space quite often. And the way we use public space, the architecture kind of determines what the performance is going to be, right? So instead of defining what's going to happen, we'll go to specific sites of relevance to our participant and try to read those sites and understand what performance is there. And so in continuous dialogue with the architecture and with the urban space, the diagram, which is kind of a beloved tool of the architect and is something that I myself have found incredible for breaking down the traditional notions, the A to Z approach to the creation of narrative, and looking at performance as a set of relationships, which is what the diagram allows you to do. I would say that the overwhelming experience of architecture school is how absolutely and completely immersed you are in the material. For me that was the primary experience and much more important than any aspect of the material reading. It was the act of going all the way in continuously and not allowing it to just be a compartment of your life but making school the center of everything. And It was very clear that if you're going to get anywhere new, if you're going to create anything of value, you were gonna have to put in effort that was above and beyond the ordinary approach one had in school classes, where you sort of meet out your time, count of hours and structure something that works for you to create, to write that paper, do that assignment or whatever. Architecture school required total commitment and in works, that's the which as well, absolute total commitment because nothing new is possible and it's almost not worth it. That was the other thing I walked out of architecture school with, but it's not really worth it to go into any project without a total commitment. And that's true when you're working by yourself and it's multiply true when you're working in a collaborative project and much of architecture school and all of architecture is collaborative. With a group of people, it takes quite a while before you actually get into a kind of group flow.
1: So I'm wondering in your both personal experience and also your perspective on the profession now, whether you feel that the move in education may be a little bit away from the physical realm, more into investments in digital softwares for design and the ability to, some might see it as cutting corners in that iterative process through Design software and having that enables this like easy switcheroos. You know, instead of this being the material, I'll just I'll just click out this swatch and now it's this material, and you don't go through that experience of actually (laughs) building in that material differently than you did before, and then having the full experience of what that was like. So, given that development in different digital design softwares and investment more in that for education, do you feel that that development kind of devalues or compromises the ability of the architect to invest? in the project?
0: That's a big question. It's like a whole other conversation about the dematerialization of our culture, right? Which are, my work is absolutely pregnant and incredibly important, incredibly important queer architects who create material culture. That's the whole thing. Although there are some who move outside of that. I mean, at risk of becoming a letter, I do feel something lost in the move of the computer. I don't feel that the iterative potential is destroyed. Now with the laser cutters and 3D printers and all these technologies, it's possible to iterate at a scale and a speed that certainly what we weren't even close to when I was in school. and that wasn't that long ago. And that's a great thing. I do feel that we are people who are relating to the physical and my own personal experiences that I have to design by hand and then move to the computer. but this has something to do with the way I was trained, I'm sure, because I see my students work much more intuitively with the computer and are able to design on the computer. For me, there's a quality to drawing and to building a model, which it's in a platonic parallel relationship with the actual structure so that you are in relationship with the building you will be building physically in the moment of creation. It seems possible to me to be thinking in a design way while drawing by hand, but not to be able to do so using a mouse. I hope and I think and I suspect that the technology could comprehend this at some point and move to a point where designing on the computer is more kinesthetically related to the actual process of construction again. It seems like I can't be the only one thinking this and hoping it gets there. (laughs) Certainly, for instance, you know, working on, you know, 3X or even Revit is a lot closer in the kinesthetic experience than AutoCAD 9 or whatever it was when I was first using it, which was so much more command-based and text-based and so much less about seeing and relating to the the structure.
1: So... Now that we've got done the kind of architecture to Odyssey Works direction, what about the other way? What in your work with Odyssey Works have you been able to bring back to your work teaching and practicing architecture that has really helped it or informed it particularly? Has it made you a better architect?
0: Yeah. So in Odyssey Works, we dig really deeply into the way our audience sees the world. We try to get best opinions and down level of the experiencing consciousness and the kinesthetic response in understanding empathy in a complex way rather than completely into their body and emotions as much as possible. Understanding that physical is irrevocably linked to the emotional, the spiritual, and the intellectual in the way people experience the world This has been incredibly useful information for me when approaching architecture clients and trying to the power of imagination necessary to project their lives into the future, into a built space, and to try to bring them along with me as I do that. I hope I've been able to trace some of this perspective to my students as they start to approach questions of how architecture affects us in our lives. I think that's my role as a teacher, is to understand the relationship between what we create what we design, and the life lived in it to practice a kind of empathetic imagination as a part of their architecture design practice.
1: So are you following, are you familiar with all of these like new brain imaging technologies that are being used in varying fields of architecture and urban design to basically try to better understand that empathy or better at least quantify what an encounter with architecture or what uh, the phenomenology of architecture may look like. Do you follow any of that stuff?
0: To me, Odyssey Works is, is a laboratory for investigatory things, just not in the same fashion. So I deeply appreciate all of that. And I think someday we'll come to the same conclusion.
1: I've, Talk to a lot of people about this and it's one of my kind of pet interests. At this point, seems like something that it can really only reinforce what a like basically present human would already know, (laughs) like would already kind of see as based on their own personal experience happening to themselves and other people in the world. But I also think that that might only be a matter of precision and current technologies that yes, that's the current phase that we're at, but that doesn't mean that, We won't get to a place in the near future where we're capable of seeing things we haven't seen before or measuring things we haven't seen before. So it's just something that seemed perfectly suited to the interests of Odyssey Works because you're in some way trying to be as empathetic as possible.
0: I want to jump in on that. You know, it is really like, so there's this promise, right? This great promise, like, you know, we'll understand how everything affects lives, the way... Color affects our mood and our psychology and our immune system and all these things, right? We'll get there and we'll understand all of these things and come up with a tool that's powerful enough to kind of be able to create the architecture that has the effect we want. And, you know, architects are in this really weird middle space between artist and scientist, engineer, a kind of left brain, right brain schizophrenia. And that's the beauty of it. But we want to be able to have all these tools at our fingertips so that we can do the best possible. And at the same time, on a kind of ethical level, we don't want to be manipulating people. We want to be in relationship with people. And we want our work to be relational. And so I'm not saying that some something that... That has to be denied that these understandings need to be turned away, but I am saying that I don't anticipate when the intuitive and the relational and the inspired could possibly be displaced by sort of research and this information that we have, or that we should aspire to that because there's some harm not to the user than to the architect or the artist when entering into that kind of relationship.
1: People are very quick and very correct to point out that it immediately makes it into a market-driven decision. If you can codify all this stuff and then you tailor every all of your design decisions towards that, then really it's very easy to make that jump towards making decisions that will serve the ends that you want, which might very well just be to Maximize profit or whatever, and I think that that's what why a lot of people see the potential. Like the only set gain of this would be that it would not be to, like either we end up with the same intuitions that we already had. Either those are our conclusions, or if they are anything else, they would only be used for ill-begotten <laughs> reasons or whatever. That's I think I totally understand, and and I want to also f- try to figure out where exactly that point is of people's discomfort where they see this technology and this boon as a helpful thing. And then where they see it and they start getting uncomfortable because they feel that it could be used for some project that they feel is not ultimately with the most empathetic and most beneficial ends in mind, but something that it's just gained to uh, serve the architect or serve the creator in some, in some way.
0: Right. You know, I think we have a couple of choices, right? We can sort of, we can turn Luddite and say no, no to science, which seems rather unfortunate. Or we can throw down our concerns and, and say, say, you know, yes. And, you know, let's go into this mechanical zone and come up with a, a system that will protect people from, from manipulation and uh, bad intentions. Or perhaps a third way, which would be a way where we are required to be ethical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a concept.
0: Yeah. And we can't rely on a system to do it for us. And we have to carry around with us the responsibility to be troubled by uh, the by the challenges that these uh, tools present. And to me, that's the only way we should always be troubled. I mean, even if we didn't have these sort of, all this research, you know, we have things that we know as architects. We have ways. We have, as humans, we have all these ways that we can each other. I think, you know, the, the ethical question is continuous.
1: Thanks for listening to our Sessions one-to-one One, with Abraham Bergson. Dana Lavoinov edits the podcast, and Mass Skillings composed our music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of One to One. New episodes will come out every Monday. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It helps a ton. We are at Arc Sessions on Twitter, and you can email us at connect at com. Thanks again for listening to One to One.